0: Ayurveda is the original circadian medicine and is robust with the wealth of ancient wisdom. Welcome to episode 79 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. As an Ayurvedic practitioner, Sarah Cruz assists clients in returning to their true nature through the principles they apply in Ayurvedic consultations and health coaching programs. Sarah chose to work in the field of Ayurveda for the purpose of bringing health, healing and awareness to people's lives so that they can realize their unique life path and contribute their gifts to the world where we live in. It is Sarah's intention to encourage integration of all healthcare systems and wisdom traditions for the benefit of everyone Sarah is a graduate of the Ayurvedic Institute in New Mexico where she studied under Dr. Vasant Ladd and she has traveled extensively throughout India studying with renowned Ayurvedic doctors and scholars. She is also a graduate of the Brineke School of Massage in Seattle and has been practicing Ayurveda since 1999. Sarah's great joy in life is caring for her daughter Mulya who continues to teach her about unconditional love, playfulness, patience and being fully present. What a gift! Sarah is a gentle and beautiful soul radiating knowledge, grace and healing spirit. She takes us on a beautiful journey through understanding which doshas are predisposed towards sleep challenges and guiding us with profoundly practical tools to understand nutrition, meal times and meal plates through the magical lens of age-old Ayurveda. If you missed the meditation on episode number 78, it's a guided meditation to release emotions that don't serve you and to help set the intention to recall your dreams as a way of guiding you just before you fall asleep. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practice author in New Guinea and you’re listening to the Sleep Whisperer Podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I’m on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Sarah, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. It's a pleasure having you, and I'm always thrilled to be having conversations with other women and especially other mummies. I think there's just such a harmony in that energy when two women speak. And it's not saying I don't enjoy the conversations with my male guests, but it's just something very special. So I'm looking forward to a conversation and always since the whole podcast is that intersection between... Uh, functional medicine and ancient wisdom one of my favorite areas is actually that ancient wisdom with yoga ayurveda and today we are speaking about ayurvedic nutrition and sleep which I've been wanting to speak about for so long so it was actually uh, almost fortitude that you landed in my lap Uh, So welcome, Sarah, first of all, and let's get started with just knowing, I know that you said that um, your husband is Indian, but I'd love to know, is that what triggered your Ayurvedic path? What brought you into Ayurveda?
1: Thank you so much for having me as a guest today, Deepa. I'm so delighted to be here to share about Ayurveda. So my path started when I was 19 years old. And I was really drawn toward natural healing modalities. I was looking at naturopathic medicine, homeopathic herbal medicine. And then by fate, by destiny, I met an Ayurvedic doctor in Seattle and he illuminated the path of Ayurveda for me. And what happened is I realized everything I love about healing was contained in one package, herbal medicine, nutrition, meditation yoga all these things were in one ancient healing tradition so i knew right then that i was on this path and then i ended up going to albuquerque new mexico to study with dr vasant lad who's originally from pune and he's been one of the forefront teachers and experts of Ayurveda in the west for the last 30 years or so so i feel so blessed to have studied with dr lad and then my further studies brought me back and forth to South India, primarily to study with different doctors and teachers. So I'm so, I feel so blessed to have been given this knowledge to share with people.
0: I so hear you about the blessing of knowledge, Sarah, because I think that's one of the main tenets of Eastern ancient wisdom is to always have gratitude that you're the instrument and you're just uh, the gurus have blessed you with the knowledge and I think that just goes such a long way, not just in terms of us feeling humility and not being borne down by ego. Uh, but also even for the people that we work with, because there's something as if there's the essence of thousands of gurus guiding that light, which we try to shine upon all the people that we try and help. So it was so beautiful to hear you say that. And I know that you've had a lot of experience working through Ayurveda and especially working out those sleep challenges. And could you first just tell us a little bit of, What have you seen in your practice typically? And uh, what does that just highlight for us? What that points towards in terms of Ayurvedic roots?
1: Absolutely. So I've been practicing for about 22 years. And I have to say over time, I've seen more and more people struggling with sleep. In fact, about nine out of 10 of my clients list sleep as one of their top three health concerns. So it's at the foundation of everyone's health, but it's really at the forefront of imbalance and disease I'm seeing these days. Um, And so Ayurveda gives us daily practical tools to bring balance based upon our unique constitution. And once we have this understanding of our constitution and a deeper self-knowing, we can go about making lifestyle choices and changes that support that for the whole life. And as we lay this foundation, things like sleep and digestion, energy, mood and hormones get balanced. But one of the first things I see come back into balance is sleep uh, for people. When they start to sync back up with the rhythms of nature, like these ancient traditions of Ayurveda and yoga, they teach us that the key to health is syncing up the individual with the rhythms of nature. So we all have heard this term circadian rhythms, right? And so once we can understand our unique constitution um, in the context of these circadian rhythms, we can make healthy choices. So this is really something I give a lot of thought to and I see a lot of improvement once people make these daily commitments.
0: And Sarah, I'd love to know whether, I mean, I know we'll go much deeper into this, but is there a specific when you said uh, based on the body type, is there a specific body type that's more predisposed to sleep challenges than others in terms of Ayurveda?
1: I'm so glad you asked this question. Thanks, Deepa. So it's true. So vata, pitta, and kapha, the three doshic types, have their unique expressions, elements, and qualities. So each type can have their unique sleep challenges. And that's a whole other topic. But primarily what we see is people of vata constitutions. So vata is comprised of space and air elements. People who either are born as a vata person or they have increased vata and getting expressed in their minds and bodies, they tend to struggle more with sleep than other constitutions.
0: Is there a system that correlates with um, what you say is vata, is there something which, you, for example, when you say pitta, you think, tend to think of the liver, so is there a particular system that actually people might think about, which might make sense to them versus vata?
1: Yeah, so vata, it has to do with the respiratory system and the circulatory mm-hmm. system and, and movement. Vata is responsible for all movement and communication in the body and mind. So people that tend to be more on the go. So busy mind, a lot of talking, a lot of traveling, moving. So a movement within the body in, increases the sense of vata. So very busy, creative, dynamic individuals. Um, who are always on the go, tend to be the ones I see struggling the most with sleep.
0: And I usually think, Sarah, that it's people who, um, you know, the type who says that I find I'm wasting my time if I'm just sitting still, I need to keep doing, doing, doing versus they just can never be still. Is that what you're describing?
1: Exactly. There's a lot of busy, busyness in the mind, busyness in the body. My teacher, Dr. Lad, he says these Vata people, um, they tend to be prone to more jogging, jumping, trembling. So movement.
0: Yes. Uh, So let's break down what are all the areas that you feel from the perspective of Ayurveda, of course, which you would put down as root causes of why people develop sleep issues or are unable to get over their chronic sleep challenges and uh, if you could break that down in as much detail as possible for us that would be great
1: absolutely yes so as i was mentioning before how ayurveda looks at the unique individual and keeping the individual in sync with the rhythms of nature and we are creatures who thrive when we can sync up with nature, go to bed at, at the same time, wake up at the same time, eat meals at consistent times. But what I find in our busy world that has so many demands, so many expectations and duties, that many people tend to spread themselves too thin. And in doing so, what happens is we tend to override the body's signals. So mm-hmm. I have to say this is a foundational principle is Um, the constant overriding of the body's signal to stop and to rest or to take a break at work for 10 minutes or to um, stop and have lunch, not to override the lunch break. So this ability or this tendency that we have to override, I think is one of the primary pitfalls in our society as we're trying to meet deadlines, complete projects, check off our uh, to-do list each day. So this is something I speak to a lot with my clients, is cultivating the inner listening, listening to the body, am am I hungry, am I thirsty, am I tired, pausing, honoring that process, giving time and space to fulfill that and then moving on to the next task rather than driving and pushing through. So, this is something. So, how,
0: how would you describe? I'm, I mean, you said that so beautifully, but I'm just trying. I would love for you to break down how vata and pitta vary in this because they sound so similar in this aspect of wanting to tick things off the to do list.
1: Exactly. So, the aspect of vata that tends to overdo is coming from a place more of enthusiasm. So some people would say FOMO, fear of missing out, not wanting to miss out on all the fun things in life or um, just their upward moving enthusiasm and excitement and creativity. So that's more about Vata. And then Pitta tends to be very passionate and driven and goal oriented. They're committed to reaching the goal at any cost, even if that's their sleep or their health. Um, So Vata tends to find themselves at night up maybe working on creative projects or um just wide awake and pitta tends to be kind of pushing toward midnight pushing that midnight oil Mm -hmm. into that 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 time of night where pitta is more active and gets agitated so if we stay awake past midnight then we're kind of in that danger zone of pitta so the fire starts turning more cortisol gets released Mm. and some people find it's a really productive and creative time of the night But really, that's a way of overriding the body's signal, according to Ayurveda.
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad you said that, Sarah, because, you know, I'm always speaking out against this concept of Uh, night owl chronotypes that people are meant to be awake in the night and doing their best work in the night and that's when they're more productive. I'm always bringing caution to that concept in the sleep space because I feel that it ignores underlying physiological imbalances which lead somebody to behave as if they were a night owl and I'm so respectful of this ancient belief that you need to be as much in sync with the earth's biological rhythm as possible. So I'm glad to hear you say that. But before we jump into uh, Ayurveda and nutrition, does that mean the kapha people
1: never have sleep issues? Yeah, I was thinking that we should talk about the kapha. Sometimes yes. they get left, left out in this topic. So kapha ten, usually kapha does not have sleep trouble in the sense of having difficulty falling asleep. If anything, they have a tendency to oversleep, Mm. um, I find, unless there's a vata or pitta imbalance at play as well. But true kapha constitution, um, if they get get past seven or eight hours of sleep, they start to get feeling heavy, sluggish, and dull in the body and mind. Mm. Their metabolism can slow down. So they're a little on the opposite end. And so kapha is made up more of earth and water element. And so these types tend to biologically need a little less sleep than pitta and vata counterparts.
0: So would you say that they might actually benefit from something like setting an alarm and not allowing themselves to stay longer? Because you know, a lot of times we discuss that it's probably not very healthy to wake up with an alarm because it jars you in the morning and you want to gently get into your day, but this sounds like a space where that might be actually a way to therapeutically prevent that oversleeping and the lethargy that comes with it.
1: Absolutely. If any of the constitutional types were going to have an alarm clock, I would say Kapha because they can go on sleeping through the sound of the roosters outside or sound of family members so an alarm clock with music is a good idea for kapha
0: (laughs) Mm, beautiful i love that tip i'm
1: going to give that to all my kapha clients out there yes and deepa this brings up another point i just want to share my number one sleep tip with all my clients my number one thing that i suggest in terms of syncing up with the cycles of nature and balancing hormones, energy, and digestion as well, is to commit to a regular sleep time, bedtime being the same time most nights. And we have busy lives, sometimes things change, we get invited to go out or we're traveling and that can get thrown off. But in our day-to-day life, if we can commit to a regular sleep time, then our hormones get rebalanced and every system in our body starts to thrive. And I'm a little less strict with waking time. I feel like um, Pitta and Vata sometimes need a little bit more rest in the morning. Mm -hmm. So sometimes honoring that natural waking time is appropriate. Except for Kapha, they can go ahead and set their alarm.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful differentiation, Sarah. And I must share with you that before COVID and the lockdowns happened, I would have, I would actually travel about 50 kilometers into the city very early in the morning by three or four in the morning for work and, uh, and it went on for about 20 years and I would always find myself very restless and um I couldn't just wind down at night. I would take so long to fall asleep. And then when the lockdown happened, I just decided to quit all of that and just said, I'm going to let my body wake up whenever it's ready to wake up. And I can't tell you what a difference it made in terms of everything, losing weight, productivity during the day, digestive health, everything just turned around so beautifully so Uh, I think that what you meant about, you know, let the Vata Pitta get their time to sleep is so critical, if that's possible. But of course, I do want to be sensitive to the fact that many people don't have that luxury. Sometimes they do need to wake up and get going to their work. And that's all the more challenging during these troubling times that we are in today. So I don't, I want to be sensitive to that as well. But maybe they could, go to bed earlier uh, and that's what you're saying just allow them to get the enough sleep that they need
1: yes exactly
0: Um, So let's actually jump into how can Ayurveda help sleep issues, but I'd like to spend most of our time talking about nutrition and how does this vary for the three doshas. So overall, how would Ayurveda start to help someone who's, I mean, there are people struggling with chronic sleep challenges for almost two decades. Yes.
1: Yes, and so the first thing that I was talking about earlier, that would be the, the main recommendation, commit to regular bedtime and have semi-regular waking time. And then another cornerstone of health to support the whole system and including sleep is having regular meal times, for example, not having lunch one day at 12, the next day at three, but yes. within an hour because our digestive um, enzymes affect our hormonal balance as well. So, digestion and regular meal times is very key. Um, so, those are two main points. And, then and before you time- go
0: further, Sarah, I must stop you because I want to ask you is there a specific time when you're saying go to have a regular time to go to sleep? Is there A time that you suggest don't cross this time because there's so much out there. As I said, the night owls that some people can sleep at. If they're sleeping midnight to 9 a.m., it's perfectly fine. So what are your thoughts on time, exact time?
1: Yes. So what I've seen in my practice and what I've seen in research about sleep as well is that the most rejuvenating hours for sleep for the brain and for the body are 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., those four hours being the most sacred. For most constitutions, there are always a few exceptions, but in a generalized sense, if we can start winding down about 9, 9.30 at night and be in bed around that time and be asleep by 10 or 10.30 at the latest and get that deep REM sleep um, within that four-hour window, then even if we have light sleep in the early morning hours, we have that base of deep sleep um, initially. So this is what I see makes a big difference is to capture those first few hours of deep sleep when possible
0: beautiful because i think it's so important to differentiate that and i know my clients think i'm a horrible witch when i say you need to not cross 10 p.m Uh, (laughs) but i'm glad you said that how about meal times do you feel there's some sort of a structure in terms of if you were to wake up at a specific time, when do you need to eat? I mean, you said regularity, does that look different for every dosha or is there a vague idea of timing in terms of noon for lunch or break that down a little bit?
1: Yes, and so again, it can be specific, but in general, we can look at having something for breakfast if needed Um, And if the work schedule allows around the seven, seven to eight window and not everybody needs breakfast. Some people like Kapha constitutions might need a cup of tea or some fruit, something very light Mm. and maybe Pitta and Vata might need something more substantial. I do have plenty of clients who require protein in the morning to get going with their day. So in terms of what they're eating, that's specific to the person but a little something in the morning. And Ayurveda emphasizes more on um, lunch as the main meal Mm -hmm. of the day to when possible, never miss lunch, especially if a person is pitta constitution. And then if a vata misses lunch, they get very um, spacey and lightheaded and have a hard time focusing. So around the midday, 12 noon time is good. And actually that window for pitta dosha and fire element is 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So there's a four-hour window when our fire, our Agni digestive fire is the strongest, that it will be the whole day. There's more fire and digestive capacity for most people midday. So that's when we suggest eating your larger meal, your larger protein source, and absolutely not missing lunch. And then dinner can be... Um, variable depending on your lifestyle but you know five to six especially not too close to bedtime because that can really disturb sleep eating dinner too close to bedtime
0: i know sarah there are so many people who eat dinner at 10 p.m and then um it's such a struggle then they have digestive perpetual digestive issues and then they are trying to put antacids and so many digestive support when truly these simple interventions i think are so overlooked by many and just not given the importance that they really deserve because they're so easy to fix some of those complex challenges in the body. Um, But I want to spend quite a bit of time picking your brains on Ayurvedic nutrition. So uh, how does it differ for the three doshas and um, in terms of what to eat? And you just told us a few things, for example, Pita and vata may need a little bit of protein or something more solid. So could you just go through a day in a nutrition for the three doshas? And I can so picture in my head specific people when you're talking about this.
1: Yes, exactly. So it is quite unique to each person. And for the doshas, We always look at the gunas or the qualities. So the primary gunas for Vata dosha are dry, light, cold, rough, and mobile. And there's a principle in Ayurveda, like increases like and opposite quality balances. And Mm. so if a person is Vata, they're prone to being cold in their body and light in their energy. They feel ungrounded um, and they're always on the go. Then we want to bring in remedies and foods that are counter to that. So if the person tends to be cold, we focus on warm food and drink, never iced beverages, never cold, like raw salad for the Vata person in most cases. Mm. You want to bring in warm soups and stews, things that are warm, well-spiced and oily. Um, Mm. Foods that are especially grounding like root vegetables that are cooked into a stew with spices and ghee or coconut oil um, served with a lovely grain and other veggies is a beautiful meal for vata. And then for pitta, um, we look at the other uh, qualities. Pitta is quite different in terms of gunas for uh, their doshas. So we look at oily, sharp, hot, and light. And so for pitta constitution, sometimes they tend to like the deep fried spicy foods these are exactly the kind of (laughs) foods that can throw them off if they go on eating like five star spicy you know indian thai mexican food you know the chili type of food they oftentimes love it but it can cause aggravation or inflammation in the system and that can keep them up at night Mm. and so opposite of those qualities are going to be cooling and and more softer and less oily um qualities so we bring in fresh fruits and vegetables a lot of coconut is typically Mm. wonderful for pitta either coconut oil coconut milk or shredded coconut lots of greens so green leafy vegetables um, cilantro Um, so there's there's a lot of focus on cooling the pitta fire so what would happen if someone were
0: both Vata and Pitta because they seem so oppos- opposite to each other and that can be a struggle to figure out what do you really need?
1: Yes, and this is a really good point because oftentimes people have two doshas at play, say that they're Pitta constitution, but now Vata is elevated. So mm. Dr., Dr. Ladd teaches us that Vata can push Pitta and the picture you can imagine is you know blowing breath on a flame or fire that flame gets bigger with the breath Mm. and so air gives rise to fire and if we can calm vata in the body then we then the inflammation will come down
0: beautiful yeah yeah so then what you're saying is when both seem imbalanced it's always good to focus first on calming down the vata
1: Uh, And one would think
0: the other way because I know a lot of people who are like that who actually focus on the cool, cold, raw smoothies and salads in an attempt to cool everything down.
1: Yes, and if they're focusing on cool salads and smoothies but they have vata imbalances, it can kind of backfire. So if we can identify some vata imbalance and vata, then we really treat both, but the secret way to treat that is to pacify Vata. So I love that. I love food. that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so is there um, something um, which it changes if there are sleep challenges? Is there a specific way to eat which helps to restore? So I'm assuming this might then be more a Vata style meal to help. Uh, And uh, I also want to ask you, if someone's having sleep issues, does it one of the things that I point out, because people in the sleep world talk a lot about dinner, but I usually say your sleep is decided right from your breakfast and what you're eating. So would you say that it begins right from the morning of the, how you're eating, which decides how your sleep is going to be at night?
1: I do agree with you with that, Deepa, that all the food we're eating throughout the day influences our sleep dinner might be a little stronger in influencing, but breakfast, lunch, anything we're ingesting throughout the day um, accumulates in the body qualitatively and has impact. And so um, for supporting a vata individual in having good sleep or if someone has increased vata in their system we're going to look at those qualities again of warm oily well spiced and mm. really um there's it's a myth in our society that salads and smoothies are healthy for everyone mm. and this is something you know vatas can get very excited and enthusiastic and start making a big uh, packed smoothie every morning with lots of superfoods and they're very excited yes. about it but then it's just sitting in their belly causing gas and indigestion yes and making them feel cold and constipated this is what can happen and so while these nutrients in and of themselves are healthy they're not always healthy for each individual so we need to look at for whom is this substance going to balance or imbalance so we we like to take the smoothie off the equation for vata in most cases (laughs)
0: So would that then, uh, Sarah, uh, could they do something like switching the smoothie more to a blended soup and switching the cold salad more to a stir-fried vegetable?
1: Exactly. And I've traveled in different parts of the world where they start their day with a savory soup. In Thailand, for example, Mm. they have a beautiful bowl of veggie soup. Sometimes they'll add protein and spices. But I I really like the idea of savory breakfast. And I've had so many delicious savory breakfasts in India as well. And so something warm and some kind of fat and for vata and pitta, a little protein is often a good idea. Uh, I think just steering clear of the cold. There's another kind of remedy and food and that I do recommend for vata people in the morning. And that is, instead of a cold iced smoothie with fruit, is to make like a warm smoothie with soaked almonds and dates mm-hmm. and spices. And we take about 20 almonds, soak them overnight, and grind them in the blender with a couple of dates and either cow's milk, goat milk, or a seed or nut milk, and a little cardamom, cinnamon, and saffron. So they drink this, and it gives a lot of energy and strength.
0: You know, Sarah, when I was in the Himalayas, um, in the ashram, that was exactly the kind of drink that they gave us uh, early in the morning and there was nothing else. But it, I mean, the bliss you would get from that one drink was so profound that I remember savoring every single sip of that drink. Um, um, so let's go a little bit into Kafa, But then, of course, I love to... Break down all the three doshas a little bit more in terms of uh, whether, and I also and get your thoughts on grains. But let's talk about kapha first.
1: Yes, so kapha tends to, as I mentioned, oversleep or have more heavy quality at night, and one of the sleep struggles that they can experience is sleep apnea, difficulty mm. breathing and sleep apnea because of congestion or heaviness in the body so for kapha we want to stay clear of heavy foods um, like a lot of dairy products milk and cheese especially before bedtime that that can create um, heaviness in the lungs stomach and body and in some cases create difficulty with breathing which can disturb the sleep so instead of these heavier kind of sweet milky kinds of foods we go for foods that are lighter and well spiced so squashes and different grains and Lots of ginger and black pepper, and in some cases chilies, good for kapha dosha. Mm-hmm. So it's exact opposite of vata in most qualities.
0: Beautiful and this just really keeps going back to the fact that there's no perfect diet and it's really so dependent on each person because there's so much of talk talk and coming to that I want to ask you uh, because re- recently in the nutrition world and everywhere greens have been so vilified and it's they're considered a, a inflammatory. And there are people who are removing all grains, even when, frankly, I don't think they need to do that. But what does Ayurveda say about grains in terms of the different doshas? And are there specific grains that are most suitable to one dosha over the other?
1: Yes, wonderful question. So again, um, for whom is this substance or grain appropriate? And Ayurveda historically has accepted grains as very nutritious foods that build strength and build ojas in the body. So we look at the agni, the digestive fire. If a person has an intact agni, then they should be able to digest most foods, including grains. But if the digestive system is weakened or there's been injury or illness, then the agni can be compromised and they may need to um, reduce different grains or eliminate them all together for a period of time. In my practice, I don't usually eliminate all grains for most clients, but look at rotating them, having a handful mm-hmm. of grains for each constitution and rotating them, making sure that they are non-GMO um, organic and good quality. That's very important. I find that people Uh, seem to be more sensitive to adulterated um yes gmo types of grain especially wheat i hear from clients all the time oh if i eat wheat or bread in the states i get inflammation and reaction but if i go to europe or india i can eat chapati or croissant and have no problem and so there are these different kinds of grains the ancient grains tend to be less problematic and so for the doshas we look at um how they nourish qualities of the dosha. So for vata, vata tends to do pretty well with a lot of grains. They're very nourishing and grounding. So different kinds of rice, even wheat or chapati is quite nourishing for vata. Um, We don't want to give like too many grains that are very drying, like millet. If Mm. you give a lot of millet to vata, it can create more dryness. So if a vata person loves millet, Add plenty of ghee or fat and spices Mm. and that can can neutralize it pretty easily. Um, And then for pitta, we're always thinking about um, kind of cooling the body. So basmati rice is very cooling, very easy to digest. And in fact, we use basmati rice for cleansing programs like panchakarma and Ayurveda. So grains that are a little more cooling, like brown rice tends to be a little more heating. So we will favor the white rice for pitta. And pitta is primarily fire element. And so a lot of pittas can usually digest things quite well, Um, not in all cases, but um, usually I don't see a lot of trouble unless there's food allergy, then there could be inflammation from excess grain. Or what I see is people get in a kick of eating wheat three times a day um, and not changing or not rotating very much. And so I say a good place to start is to uh, rotate your grains and maybe do a little more bean or protein than grain. If you're making like a rice and lentil dish, do two part bean, one part grain. Um, so that that's seems to perfect, to
0: Sarah, out. because you're so right, because I feel that even in terms of other food, when people say they've become allergic or intolerant. Uh, I think one of the reasons is that sometimes you can get fixated because you hear that this is a superfood and then you're doing it every single day. And I think that itself rotating sounds amazingly therapeutic because you're not really putting undue stress on the body with any one food. And that's a great way to approach uh, overall diet, I think. And um, so let's talk about kafa because, and I'm glad you spoke about agni and wheat because, of course, there's so much of confusion uh, over wheat itself. But I do think that there are two opposite camps in this as well because, on the one side, you have people who uh, are anti gluten for everything. Uh, and on the other hand, you've got people who are eating the processed croissants and the breads three times a day and struggling with so many health challenges. So where's the balancing and where's the middle ground? And I think, um, and I recommend at times to remove that during the temporary phase because it does help to take off the load to work on di- improving digestive health and then seeing how you tolerate. And that's exactly what you're saying. But let's talk kaffa and grains.
1: Yes. So I really like buckwheat for kaffa And even when making like kichari, lentils and grain, it goes very well instead of rice to use buckwheat. It gives mm-hmm. a nice texture. And we also want to look at grains that are a little more light and drying for the body. So these are not technical grains, but they're still in the category. So quinoa, amaranth, and millet are wonderful choices for kapha. And even for pitta and vata, um, quinoa, amaranth, and millet, why they can be a little drying if you add oil or ghee. It's, mm. It neutralizes quite well. So if people are concerned about grains, usually I'll have them first rotate and then emphasize those other kind of subtle grains, quinoa, amaranth, and millet.
0: Very nice, Sarah. So, um... I know we've gone quite a bit into diet, and um, I just want, before we come to the end of our show, I just want to ask you to describe three meals, a vata meal, a pitta meal, and a kapha meal, the full plate.
1: (laughs) Yes, so a balancing meal for vata would have um, flavors of sweet, sour, and salty. And so we're thinking about sweet vegetables Maybe some uh, sweet potato or squash and uh, some coconut milk and spices like a coconut curry with some, uh, let's see, for vata, they would do really well with uh, brown rice or red rice. Mm. And then some sauteed, steamed or baked veggie on the side. And the protein, depending if the person's vegetarian or eats non-veg, you know uh, for vata we don't want to give too large of beans like black bean garbanzo bean pinto mm-hmm. bean can be a little gas forming for vata so we give smaller lentils like um, red lentil masur, or dal. so smaller lentils that always digest better for vata than the large legumes um, and then for the vata also i mentioned sweet so a little bit of sweet flavor with the meal a little rice pudding included is just fine or a date on the side but some kind of sweet um, a little bit of salt and a little bit of sour so i always like to squeeze some lime on the top of the meal to bring out that sour flavor and boost digestion
0: lovely sarah so would you say that um you mentioned uh, the plant versus animal protein so since so many of the plant proteins are a little drying and you said to stay with masoor and moong uh, would you then say that the vata body may actually benefit from more animal protein
1: yes at different stages of life and ayurveda looks at animal protein more as a medicine rather than a a daily food for most people the ancient texts break down different parts of different animals for different people and conditions so vata tends to go toward losing weight easily we want to build strength in the body so for vatas some animal protein a few times a week at different times in life can be appropriate and the same goes for pitta they tend to have a high metabolism and sometimes will crave some more protein in their diet so they can go Veg protein or meat protein, and mm. then kafa is the constitution who could leave the animal protein and usually be just fine with plant protein. Plant, lovely. Um, so, but so the yes, ideal, the ideal diet or a meal for a pitta would be lots of fresh veggies that are lightly sauteed or stir fried or roasted, um, and some kind of bean. Um, or animal protein, like a bowl, like we call it Buddha bowl. Mm. So you have your maybe basmati rice and you have your um, bean. It could be garbanzo bean kind of dish. And then some sautéed veggie, seasonal veggies. We always focus on what's in season, where we live, when possible. And then lots and lots of cilantro because pitta tends to get overheated. So cilantro, chutney or handfuls of greens and cilantro. Again, a squeeze of lime, but not to overspice the meal mm-hmm. um, where Vata does well with more spices. Pitta should keep it more neutral, mm-hmm. like cumin, coriander, fennel, and cilantro, Lovely. Beautiful. and if pitta gets overstimulated, then they get inflamed and that can really affect their sleep. So we really want to emphasize cooling. One way to do that quickly is to add one spoon of ghee to the Buddha bowl for the pitta. And
0: if they get uh, imbalanced, they also get very angry and that can make life unpleasant for themselves <laughs> and everyone around them. <laughs> yes,
1: because they can they experience conflict when they're out of balance and then they can be up and stewing about it, worrying about it, getting upset. And so ending the day in a peaceful way is important for a pitta and the way they eat absolutely impacts that and then for kaffa uh, we can have some other vegetable choices so they they do fine with kind of rougher vegetables like some broccoli or cauliflower and cabbage also stir-fried lots of ginger ginger is my favorite spice for mm. kaffa, just handfuls of chopped ginger fresh turmeric um, spice and such as quinoa or buckwheat or even a kichari so lentil and grain not too much sweet flavor we want less sweet for kapha and more spicy for them and with all doshas we talk about sipping a warm liquid or room temperature tea with the meal not to gulp ice water or end the meal with the big glass of water
0: lovely sarah and i know that we've already spoken for so long but Um, I'm going to keep you for a little longer because I want to ask you about dhinacharya, herbs, oil, pranayama, because you had mentioned all of that in the context of sleep. So could you just give us a little overview into that and then we can get to the end of our show. Maybe have you back later to discuss the other things we (laughs) thought about
1: (laughs) Yes, and so you're really naming it, Deepa, the dinacharya. This this is our daily routine, what we do to take care of ourselves, our self-care practices. And we hear this term self-love in our society so much. In Ayurveda, the way we cultivate self-love is through self-care, commitment to our daily care, our daily dinacharya. So what we do to take care of ourselves. So morning practice such as waking up you know earlier and brushing teeth getting going having some warm water uh, maybe water soaked overnight in a copper cup Mm. or drinking a glass of warm lemon or lime water and doing some gentle pranayama and yoga asanas or maybe going for a walk in the neighborhood then um, doing abhyanga the self massage which is really huge in ayurveda and I would say of any of the self-care practices I could recommend to your listeners today, the self abiyanga, where you take, for example, sesame oil or coconut oil and warm it and apply it to the whole body. Lots and lots, liberal amounts of, of oil. You just rub it on kind of briskly, get it on, and it takes about five or seven minutes. So you get this oil on and then take a shower or a bath. And the heat from the shower pushes the oil deeper into the system and it relieves the nerve endings. And And you
0: don't need to
1: soak the oil. Heat the oil, sometimes I'll say take your bottle of oil and put it in a pan of warm water, like just a cup or a pan of warm water, and then it's warm, then you just rub it on. And And um, you need to wait, you do need to wait you don't you actually don't need to if you have the luxury of time like on the weekend you have more time you could maybe wear a thin towel or a sarong after you've oiled and let it soak in I know in India the grandmothers would oil the children and have them stand in the sun. Yes, I was just going to tell you that I had my great grandmother and my
0: grandmother at home, and uh, I would be so ashamed because they would uh, undress me naked, make me sit on this wooden plank, and oil me, and then go put me in the sun, and it was so embarrassing for me as a child. But I've truly come a full circle to understand how powerful that weekly oiling is, even if you can't do it every day. So I really make that effort to make sure that it's once a week. Um, and um, I mean, it has so many profound benefits that uh, taking that time out, as you advised, would be a great way. But before you mentioned Dinacharya Sarah, and I must ask you this because um i see a lot of people who say i can't even when i'm doing my asana practice i'm thinking about the million to-do list in my head and one of the things that i noticed about those people is that uh, they don't have limitations for scrolling social media Uh, so for example um, I have a strict rule for myself that by 5 p.m my phone goes into airplane mode no one can reach me so my mind kind of thinks that the world is not bothering you now and that makes a huge difference to how you calm down in the night and then the other aspect is that when I wake up and I'm an early riser I can wake up at four o'clock go for a walk I don't check social media emails or phone until i finished my walk in nature and expose my eyes to natural light and then i come and start getting into the day and i think that makes such a difference so I just wanted to share that quickly in the Dhinacharya as well, because it's something that people just don't give enough importance to. But it can be a game changer in terms of that restless energy that you spoke about.
1: Exactly. And all these electronic devices can very rapidly agitate Vata Dosha, which gets the mind going and Mm -hmm. it's hard to slow it down. So what you're saying is absolutely key. As soon as one is able to dial down the electronic devices in the evening, the better one can sleep. And I, I like to start people with, you know, two hours before bed, turning everything off. If possible, even backtracking, backtracking, like you're talking five o'clock is amazing, beautiful. What a great example you're leading by living this way, Deepa. And I think we can aim for that because the electronic devices and frequencies really disrupt our energy field and our ability to have internal peace and to focus and to sleep so i think turning out those down early and then if you didn't have time to do full body abhyanga in the morning with the oil then doing it before bed on the bottoms of the feet just a little bit of sesame oil olive oil coconut oil on the bottoms of the feet can be profoundly effective for calming the nerve endings. So many nerve endings are on the feet. And so when we apply oil, it can settle the nervous system and draw the thoughts from the mind down to the feet.
0: Lovely, and so do you, I mean, is it okay to wash the feet after you've done this? I don't want my beds getting oily.
1: yeah so the idea is really to rub the oil in so it gets absorbed okay the the colder season maybe putting some thin socks on the feet all right perfect
0: Sarah I've loved our conversation but I know that we've really gone on for a while but so there's probably a lot that we didn't talk about but I'm thrilled about all the things that you shared today is there anything final that you'd like to share before we come to our conclusion?
1: Yes, and that is that we have so many to-do lists and so many guidelines that were being given by our practitioners, things we could do and should do, including things that we're talking about today. So I really like to emphasize the importance of being gentle with yourself. Sometimes we can have the best intentions and set new practices for ourselves and then life happens and we stop doing them for a few days and we can have some negative self-talk. But I really want to encourage you to not have negative self-talk or any bad feelings you drop off of your ideal dinacharya or your ideal sleep practices because just knowing them is a wonderful start. You can always return to your practice. This is what I tell my clients. If we drop off, it's okay, we're human. We can always return.
0: That's beautiful, Sarah, and I need you to complete a show mantra. If sleep is the new medicine, then how would you complete that mantra for
1: us? If, if sleep is the new medicine, then um, listening to our inner wisdom um, and following that is, is also the language of the heart. Lovely. Listening, listening to our inner wisdom
0: that's beautiful Sarah thank you for being on the show today and really I loved our conversation so much so many practical takeaways um big hug to you from across the globe but I'm surely going to call you back at some point and we'll go into some other aspect of ayurveda what i would really love to talk about is ayurveda and women's health so maybe at some point we can talk about that but thank you for giving your time and it was great to have you here today
1: thank you so much i really enjoyed our conversation
0: where can people find you sarah we didn't uh, come to that. So of course we link all of that to the show notes, but where can people find you if they want to work with you?
1: Yes. Yeah, so these days I'm mostly working with clients virtually anywhere in the world via zoom. And so the main offering I have these days is a three month Ayurvedic health coaching program where I support people in returning to optimal sleep, digestion, energy, and hormonal balance especially women, around women's health um, love to be my focus. And then if someone just needs a few areas of support addressed, then I offer a long-distance Ayurveda consultation via Zoom. And that can all be learned about on my website, which is embrace-ayurveda.com. And then I have a Facebook group that anyone is welcome to join, where we have a of Ayurveda enthusiasts and that is just um, embrace Ayurveda community. Lovely. On, and you're welcome to take a look there.
0: I am i haven't discovered that, so I'm going to send you a request today as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, thank you. And if anyone has questions, I'm happy to receive an email. Deepa will include my email yes. in the notes. And, yes. Um, thank you so much for this experience Deepa ji.
0: Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional. Professional, please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition. Be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.